Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, January 2nd, 2023. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, Happy New Year. How are things going? Very good. Thank you, Graham. Happy New Year to you and everyone listening. Yeah. Any bold predictions for 2023? <laughs> wow. There you, you really got me on the spot there, Graham. Um, and it's early in the day, too. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's early in the day. I'm just hoping for an end of the war. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so more close to home, it's busy deadline season now for people applying in round two. Would you be willing to walk us through what's on tap for this week? Yeah. I mean, every year we have this crazy sort of log jam of round two applications coming um, <clears throat> right after the new year. So, so on, I mean, Washington Foster kicks it off on Tuesday and thankfully they're the only one that chose that day <laughs> in terms of the top programs that we cover. Wednesday, it's Harvard, Wharton, Tuck, Anderson um, and um, Oxford side has, has, has a deadline also. And then Thursday, we back it up with Stanford, Booth, um, Yale, Haas, Fuqua, um, Darden, McDonough, Tepper, <laughs> McCombs, Marshall, and the London Business School. So wow. a huge week next week, uh, this upcoming week. The same will be the following week. It'll be the rest of the top programs will, will be coming in the following week. Wow. Okay. So busy time. So our, our uh, thoughts go out to everyone that's racing to, <laughs> to finish things um, and get, and get, you know, get things submitted. Uh, let's see, in terms of other things that are going on today at noon Eastern, this is January 2nd, we're um, going to be having our monthly webinar for Clear Admit Plus members. So Alex and I will be online and ready to talk with any of you that um, that have questions about your applications or want to share in results or maybe good news that you heard uh, between <laughs> the last webinar and, and today. So we're looking forward to that. That's at noon Eastern, runs about an hour and yeah, if you're a ClearAdmit Plus member, you can jump on, or you could quickly sign up for ClearAdmit Plus if you have burning questions and just want to hang out with Alex and I for an hour. You're welcome to do so. Um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, other than that, Alex, we did a, a Real Humans on the website with Kellogg students. So uh, caught up with, I think, five different students who are first years at Kellogg to find out about their admissions journey and, and how things are going uh, in the program. And we also keep running those Real Humans for the Holidays series, where we caught up with um, past real, like real humans who had you know been on been on the site before and, and shared in their journey, and we asked them about holiday traditions at their school and how things are you know during the winter um, in their programs. And so this time we had students from Haas, Macombs, and, and a few other schools chime in. So that was kind of fun. There may be another one of those still coming. I, I suppose, I suppose it, it, it's my turn to ask you those questions. Is it, Graham? Yes, that's right. All right, yeah. So we had those fun questions that I asked you last week. So if you want to, yeah, I'm happy to answer these questions too. <laughs> I'll put you on the spot. How about that? All right. Ugly sweaters versus Christmas pajamas. Oof. Um, I guess I'd say Christmas pajamas, although I don't really have either. But I'd, if I have to pick, I'm going to go with pajamas. Hot chocolate versus eggnog. Definitely eggnog, which I don't think they have in France, but I miss. I used to always have a you know cup or two of eggnog during the holiday season. It's kind of a nice thing to do. Especially as you mentioned, I think last week, sometimes there's, you know, a little extra in it. So <laughs> egg, egg, eggnog with a bit of spice in it. Very, very yes, good. Yes. 
Do you prefer yeah. to give gifts or receive gifts? Definitely giving gifts as a as a father, and you know, it, it's yeah, it's fun to see the reaction. And I also find that you know, as you get older, maybe maybe it's just me, I'm like a curmudgeon or something. But it's like harder for people to buy gifts for me, so I'm rarely like you know, it's just better to give. It's easier. <laughs> and what what did you what what sort of gifts did you give this season, Graham? Um, lots of books. So when I was in London for work a few weeks ago got a whole bunch of books at the, there's a giant Waterstones in Piccadilly that a lot of people probably know on Piccadilly Circus um, that I just love going in there and finding books for the kids to read just to obviously make sure they keep reading in English and stuff. So lots of books. Uh, and then the older one wanted a pair of wireless earphones and yeah, some Lego stuff for the younger. So, you know, usual stuff, I guess. Nice, nice. Yeah. And spending time with your family or with friends? Uh, family, because it's just, I mean, th this time of year is definitely kind of family focused. So, yeah, yeah. it's a lot of fun. No, very good. Very good. Well done. Excellent. You you passed, you passed the quiz. I passed the quiz. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if, if, if you're curious, we've been asking these same questions of all these current MBA students, and that's up on the website. We also caught up with one of my favorite admissions directors, um, Benoit Bonchero, who is the admissions director at HEC Paris, great guy, super bright, used to work in um, media and was a journalist in France and, and has really done a lot for HEC Paris. I mean, that school is a kind of a rising star in my mind, if you look at the rankings and everything. So we caught up with him. There's a really good interview on the site. And then Alex, we have two career reports that came out um, since we last recorded an episode. So I wanted to kind of just quickly run through them. Therefore, Carnegie Mellon Tepper and USC Marshall. So I'm going to start with Tepper, and I'll just, because we have two, I'll just run through all the stats and ask for your quick take, and then it'll be interesting to, I, I kind of think it's interesting to look at these two together as well, so we'll maybe comment on that when we're done. But starting with Tepper, three months out, 97% of the class was employed, uh, $148,000 uh, median salary, and that's up from one thirty four dollars a year ago. In terms of the industries that Tepper sends their graduates into, they sent 39% uh, into consulting, 28% into tech, 16% into financial services, 6% into healthcare, pharma, and biotech, and 3% into consumer products. Those numbers changed a little. I mean, you know, consulting's up a bit, about 5%. Technology stayed steady with that 28% figure, and financial services went up a bit. It seems like what also happened is some of those um, more niche areas like the healthcare is actually down a bit. It used to be 10%. It's only six now. Um, they used to send 6% into manufacturing. That's not even in the top five here. So I think, you know, on the fringes, some of those smaller niche areas are, are getting even smaller um, with consulting and, and financial services moving up. But interesting, they, they did stay steady with tech. Um, in terms of the regional stuff, they sent 33% of their graduates into the Northeast. That's up a little bit from 29%. They sent 24 or almost 25% to the West Coast. That's pretty steady. It was 27% last year. They sent 18% into the Mid-Atlantic, um, which I think might include Pittsburgh. I'm not 100% on that, but I think it does. And then they've got 11% going to the Midwest, 7% to the Southwest, and 4% to the South. No big changes in those numbers, but... 2% of the class does work internationally. So Alex, any thoughts on Tepper's numbers here? Yeah, I think you're right in terms of they consider Pennsylvania as mid-Atlantic, yeah. even though I consider Pittsburgh in the Midwest. Yeah, it's funny, yeah. So it's a little bit of a quandary there in terms of how they report those numbers. Yeah. Average starting salary, very good for that tier, um, 148,000, I think. Yeah. Holding steady on the tech side. 
um, is, is bucking a bit of a trend that we've seen with other leading programs. So that's very good for, for, for them. Sending 24% to the West Coast, that sort of correlates, I guess, with the holding steady with the tech um, number two. So, yeah. so I would say TEP has got to be pretty, pretty um, um, happy with those numbers, Graham. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, as we were talking about before we came on air, you know, they're not in a destination city. Pittsburgh's kind of not where everyone lands when they graduate, right? So they, as a result, they're sending people all over the map, yeah. which is pretty impressive. So good to see. And I agree. It's interesting that they've bucked that trend on tech, keeping their numbers stable. So yeah, really good job there. Um, quickly with USC Marshall, some very similar numbers. So three months out, 97% employed. Uh, the starting salary is 150k, so just two, you know two grand higher than than Tepper. Um, that compares to 130,000 last year, so they were up about 20 grand. Uh, they have a 37,000 dollar average signing bonus, which is the highest that I've seen. And I didn't have that figure for Tepper; they didn't share it. So um, still a big number for a signing bonus. In terms of the industry placements, technology leads the way with 29 percent also flat from last year. So just like Tepper, USC Marshall somehow holding things steady on tech. Consulting is 21%. That's up from 18%. Financial services flat at 20%. Entertainment and interactive gaming. This is the only school that I know where this is like a top four <laughs> placement area and it's at 10%. It's down slightly from 13%, but still a 10% of that student body going into entertainment and interactive gaming. Healthcare was the final um, big sector they sent people into, and that's at 6%. Um, I don't have a number for that last year, because last year, the next biggest category was actually consumer packaged goods at 7%, and that must have fallen below 6% to fall behind healthcare this year. So in any event, those are the um, industry placements. As to the regional placements, here we see something very different than what we saw with Tepper, um, 87% of the graduating class of USC that's looking for work has landed on the West Coast. That's actually up from 84% the year prior. They do send 7% of the class to the Northeast, 4% to the Southwest, and 1% to the South. And again, 2% of the class work internationally. So any thoughts on USC Marshall? Yeah, it goes back to your point that um, Pittsburgh's not a destination city for MBA, so Tappers you know, they need to be sending folks um, throughout the United States yeah. um, for, for post-grad employment and do a very good job of it. Whereas LA, the West Coast, is a destination um, place for MBAs, and that's reflected 87% staying on the West Coast. Not necessarily all staying in LA, but staying on the West Coast. Yeah. Um, so clearly, if, you, if you're looking, you know, at, at applying to MBA programs and you're looking at this particular tier, which is just outside the top 16, it's that next tier. Yeah. Um, if you're planning to be on the East Coast, don't apply to Marshall. And if, you know, if you're planning to be on the West Coast, Marshall should be close to the top of your list for sure. Yeah, interesting. Um, and, and holding steady on tech is good. I mean, that 29% is a big number. Um, for tech and like you say the entertainment gaming number is really interesting I, I I think maybe Marshall might be the only one that even calls it entertainment and, and, and online gaming maybe I, I'm, I'm just a bit behind the times but that's got to be a huge growth area yeah, um, yeah. so we talked about this a little bit last week I think with our candidate from Stockholm, presuming that they might be from that industry in mm -hmm. Stockholm. So yeah. hopefully they've got Marshall on their, their radar, Graham. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, you've picked out a few candidates for us to talk about as always this week. But before we get into that, I just wanted to mention we have two events coming up in February, uh, on February 1st and February 8th. 
And they are events about deferred enrollment programs. So these are really for college students or people who went straight into a master's and are still finishing that master's degree and want to go um, off to business school and secure a seat before they work. Um, great opportunities. Like if you are a young person thinking that an MBA is on the radar for down the road, this is such an amazing <laughs> opportunity to kind of lock in a seat. So on February 1st, we're going to have admissions reps from Berkeley, Tepper, Wharton, Darden, and Yale. And then on February 8th, we're going to have Columbia, Chicago, Stanford, MIT, and Harvard Business School joining us. So really a great opportunity. You can go to bit.ly forward slash defer to three. Um, and that's all just one word and the numbers are numbers, not letters. Um, so yeah, so sign up in advance. Th those will be fun. And yeah, we don't really have anything else this week other than that you can email us at info at clearadmit.com if you ever have a question and uh, use the subject line wiretaps. But otherwise, Alex, do you have anything before we get into this week's candidates? Let's kick on. All right. So this is wiretaps candidate number one. So we're going to start this week off with an apply wire entry, and it comes from a candidate who is looking to start school next fall. Uh, they've got three schools on their target list, and those schools are Cornell, Kellogg, and NYU Stern. There is a wrinkle here in that these schools are not um, traditional MBA programs. They're applying to the uh, kind of tech MBA offerings at these institutions. I think they're all just one year in duration, and these are you know MBA programs that are very much oriented towards tech, so they're kind of... Um, you know, lots of courses that cross into the sort of engineering technology domain and help help prepare people with that background for kind of a management um, uh, a management career. So that's the kind of background they've got. Um, they've been working in product management, and they want to get into either consulting or tech or maybe venture capital. Uh, they list BCG, Bain, and McKinsey as target companies right out of school. Their GMAT score is a 640. Uh, and they have a GPA of 3.7. They've been working for four years. They're located in Toronto and they'd love to land in either New York or Chicago. Um, they do mention that they're currently a product manager, as I said, for big tech. And they're saying a company like Salesforce or IBM or Oracle. And they really want to get the necessary business skills to round out their profile and move into kind of executive level PM roles in tech. They also are kind of thinking maybe VC is an interest, they're open to that. And they mentioned that their background is in electrical engineering from the University of Waterloo in Canada, which is actually apparently the most reputed engineering program in all of Canada. And they graduated with distinction. Remember, they have that 3.7 GPA. Uh, and so, you know, they mentioned they also outside of work do volunteering with an NGO in India whenever they can travel there and that they're involved with some social impact initiatives at work. I think they also did a stint at Deloitte. So they've been working in, um, you know, in product as a product manager in big tech, but before that they did have a couple years of work experience at Deloitte. And they also admit that their GMAT is on the lower side, but they feel like it's plateaued after four attempts. Currently they're at a 47 quant and a 31 verbal. So Alex, what's your take on this candidacy? Well, I mean, it, it, it's interesting because this candidate's got a 3.7 GPA, University of Waterloo, electrical engineering. I mean, that just s says to me that they were very, very smart, right? Yeah, Almost yeah. wicked smart, but very <laughs> smart. Yeah. Their work experience, a couple of years at Deloitte, then product management in tech, absolutely fantastic. I'm sure that they can weave a, a very positive narrative out of that. They've got to show impact, they've got to show growth, but 
it seems like from a work experience standpoint they've done all the right things um, from an academic standpoint they've got done all the right things um, they're in in Canada fantastic um, I, I, I would imagine that they were really strong and, and profile for these types of programs are applying I think they'd, they'd be a, a pretty decent well, a, a good profile for just out, maybe just outside the M7, even even within the M7, based on 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 that side of their application. Um, they are India Heritage, so I would argue that that in of itself will place them in the over um, sort of represented population mm. um, by the very fact that their parents were from India, even though they were born in Dubai um, and, and and so on and so forth. Um, so, so that presents a bit of a challenge. They do do some extracurricular work for an NGO back in India. Um, I think that's great that they do that. They shouldn't not mention that because they think that shines a light on their India profile. It'll already be evident that they, they're India heritage. So, so absolutely trumpet that if that's a meaningful um, contribution that they're making and so forth. So that's very good. Mm. Yeah, I'm queasy about the 640 um, GMAT. I'm queasy about them applying in round two. Yeah, Maybe because they're applying to these tech MBA programs, um, it's, it's not going to be quite as significant in terms of applying in round two. Um, but the 640 GMAT is going to be a big, big, big issue because, again, you know, that it's below, significantly below average as you state. It's in that um, bottom 10% range of admitted candidates. And probably even further below average from that overrepresented bucket for these programs. Um, so, what can they do about that? They can't keep retaking the test, Graham, and get another 640. They've plateaued. If you've taken the test four times, that's showing great endeavor and, and, and sort of commitment to the process. Um, so, I'm going to throw a curveball at you, Graham, mm -hmm. and say, can this person apply for a GMAT waiver? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I don't, first of all, I don't know the, the ins and outs of whether or not these different tech MBAs offer the waiver. I assume some of them may. Um, I mean, I guess they could. I was actually wondering if they should have taken the GRE or just tried something because I, I think um, one of the things we had some back and forth with this candidate about is that they were seeming to take the stance that, look, I was born and raised in, or, or I was raised in in Dubai, or I think that's what they said, right? And mm. then they, and then they've been living in Canada. Um, yeah, they say I'm a Canadian citizen, born and raised in Dubai. My parents are of Indian descent, but there's nothing Indian about me. <laughs> and I was thinking, well, um, I bet your name might be Indian, and I bet you know if you're going to do all of your volunteer work in India, um, you, you're of Indian heritage, and so I worry that Indians are going to be overrepresented, especially in these tech MBA programs, which are catered towards people working in kind of tech roles who want to become more managers. And so I think there's no running from that; like they're going to fall into that bucket. Right. You know, just as an American, someone in in the U.S. who's of Indian descent is born in the U.S., there's still you're still kind of in that bucket. Um, and so, yeah, so I worry and I agree with you. Like, I, I mean, I don't know what the, how they prepared for the GMAT, but it, it is concerning to me. I mean, I'm really worried about the score. I just don't know that any of these top programs are going to make room for them. And I, it's sad because I think their, their GPA is obviously fantastic and they did really well um, in, in undergrad, but I'm just a little nervous about it. So I, I agree with you. Like, I wonder if, you know, maybe they should seek out a waiver or, um, yeah, I, I also, I had put the idea out there that, you know, do they have to go this year? Maybe they should, you know, take kind of reset the clock, either work with a tutor and retake the GMAT or get going on the GRE. 
and apply in the first round next year. Because this is not the first round for these tech programs. I mean, I was looking at, you know, Cornell had a round back in October. And so I I don't know. I mean, this is a tough situation because I worry, as you always like to say, this is the weakest aspect of their profile and it's going to be the most important aspect. That's exactly correct. And yeah, your thoughts maybe take the GRE. I do wonder about these GMAT waiver process. What are the grounds for waivers? Is it just you know, I couldn't take the test Mm -hmm. because, well, it was based on COVID. That's when all these waivers started to come around. Um, But whether people are doing the waivers because they're poor standardized test takers. Yeah. um, And what, what the, what the ethics of, of, of using it in that regard are like, I mean, maybe a school would be like, well, I quite like this person's profile, but we can't admit someone with a 640. It's a shame they didn't apply for a waiver. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. Yeah, so it is interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's worth it's worth exploring and doing a little bit of um, um, hunting around the internet to get some conversation on that. Um, but yeah, your thought, it, uh, and then there's no doubt if they were in round one, they'd have a better shot than they do have in round two. So sure. if they can stick to where they are, um, and, and come back in, in in round one, maybe like you say, if they can't get a waiver, take the GRE. Yeah. And if they can hit the 320 on the GRE, that sort of, um, that threshold would, would put them a little bit further into play. Yeah, and to be, I mean, to be a little bit of, of a cynic here, I'm not convinced that the admissions teams at these three programs on their list, you know, Cornell, NYU, and, and Kellogg, have this type of candidacy in mind when they think of a waiver. Right. I'm just not yeah. sure that, you know, that they're saying, oh yeah, we, you know, we'll waive for an Indian, you know, a, a male of Indian heritage who's an engineer. Yeah. Um, that's not, I, I mean, you know, I think they, they tend to want the waivers for people who maybe are not, you know, kind of from a business background or haven't had a quantitative undergraduate experience or I don't know. I mean, I, or just sort of underrepresented in the process or something. So yeah. I'm, I, I worry. I mean, and you know, their numbers, they had a 57th percentile on the math and a 59th percentile on the verbal. So neither of those really, you know, instill confidence in the GPA. So it's, yeah, it's really, it's a tough situation for this candidate. Yeah. 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 It is tough. Next year might, 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 might help with better prep on the GRE side. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it is a tough situation, but I, I don't think there's any doubt. If you get a three seven from in an electrical engineering degree from yeah. a very strong program, you're smart. Oh, so you've clearly. got to figure out this test stuff. Yeah. I would say um also no risk in them applying now. Like yeah. they can apply. Um they could try to get a waiver, they could just apply regular, use that score, write a little short optional essay about how look, I took the test four times. I'm not a good standardized test taker, but as you can see from my GPA, I, I'm ready to to tackle the curriculum in an MBA program. Um, that would be fine. And if and if things don't work out, they could apply first round next year. Right. So I would not say that they need to throw everything out. I mean, I'm just saying they need to prepare themselves mentally for the idea that this test score may be a bigger hurdle than they've um, kind of thought it would be. Yeah, no, so, very good yeah. point. Um, all right. Well, thanks to them for sharing their profile. Let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So Alex, you picked out another ApplyWire entry, and this is, again, a candidate that wants to start school in the fall. They've got eight schools on the target list, and those schools are Tepper, Cornell, Georgia Tech, the Indian School of Business, Washington Foster, UCLA Anderson, UNC, and UT Austin McCombs. Uh, This candidate has worked um, pre-MBA. They've worked at, I guess, I think that they're giving us examples here because there are a lot of firms listed, but they've got Uber. EXL, uh, American Express, and and also for an NGO. Um, 
they want to work in tech after business school, and they've got Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Tesla, Twitter, <laughs> Uber, kind of a who's who here of tech companies on the list. Their GMAT score is a 710. And their GPA is a 2.33. I believe that's converted. They did their undergraduate in India, but still 2.33, rather low. Um, they've got a five. Uh, I've got five and a half years of work experience to date, and they mentioned that their low GPA was due to health reasons. Uh, they've been doing data analytics work, um, I guess, as an engineer, currently with American Express, and they mentioned they're an Indian male. And then Alex, you had. A really kind of a lot of back and forth with them on the site, like five or six different comments back and forth. I chimed in as well, but let's let yeah. How do you assess this candidacy? And obviously, like our first candidate, um, it's it's a person who's Indian, uh, and there's a there's kind of a glaring issue right with the academic thing. In this case, it's the GPA. But what do you make of this? Yeah, I mean, this is a tough one because it's a low GPA, and there's no obvious way to fix that issue. I mean, they had health issues. So they're going to use the optional essay to explain that context. But as an adcom um, person, I'm going to be really wanting to, um, to, 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 to have the confidence that, that they're going to be successful and, 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 and academically strong in my program um, and, and so forth. So, um, you know, they, they obviously that the GMAT helps in that regard to some degree. Um, they've they've got a 710 GMAT score. That's good. Um, they they're quite um, strong on the um, um, on, on 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 the quant side with the 51. Mm-hmm. Um, the verbal side's a, a little bit lower. But quite honestly, Graham, you probably want a GMAT score in the 740s or 750s to to really well 730s anyway to really have that confidence um, and so forth. Um, you know, should they do MBA math? Well, if they've got a got a fifty one on 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 the, the you know quant side of the of the GMAT, it makes me less um, sort of thing to recommend something like MBA math or HBS core as yeah. preparation. But they they might be possibilities. But that's one of the reasons reasons why I'd be less inclined. Um, obviously, looking at the transcript individually, seeing where the the, the grades fell. And, and what the issues were academically um, might be more revealing in that regard. Um, but I would say that that's um, potentially, I mean, obviously a, a, a big issue for them. Um, they're not applying overly aggressively. Like, you know, they're not just applying to top 16 M7 type programs. So there might be a little bit of wriggle room with a couple of the programs that they're targeting. Um, that they might fit, um, so that that sort of helps. I mean, certainly having that GMAT sort of helps overcome that GPA a little bit, Graham. But I'm not convinced that 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 GPA is going to really hurt them. Quite frankly, Graham. Obviously, the, these health issues do, will, will add some context, yeah. but but it's going to be difficult. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is so similar to our first candidate in that you know here we are. It's round two. They're overrepresented and they have this glaring weakness in one component of their candidacy. And so my advice is somewhat similar. Like I think roll the dice, apply in round two, you know, they can see what happens, um, but be prepared that they might have to reapply next year in the first round. Although one of the differences here is that where our first candidate had three kind of very top 
um, schools on the list, and those tech MBAs are quite competitive. Um, this Canada has a broader, like you said, a broader range of um, traditional full-time MBA programs, you know, including like Georgia Tech, um, which, you know, great school, top 25 type school, right, but not necessarily the same um, admissions criteria of, say, you know, Cornell that's on their list as well, right? So, right. so it's a good range, um, and that may help them in the end. But yeah, I was kind of wondering, you know, they mentioned their undergrads from India. I was kind of wondering, like, well, was it at an IIT or some great school that might help a bit, you know, to know that they at least attended and got into a really great program. But we don't have that that information here. But I do agree, doing MBA math is not going to really help them. It's really the verbal side that was very weak um, on their on their test score. And right. yeah, I think um, they're just going to, at this point, given where we are with the deadlines, I think they just, you know, apply in round two, see what happens, and then know that they might have to fall back to applying next season or something, assuming they can stay at their job and stuff. Yeah, and it, if this is a case that they're based in India and they're trying to use the NBA to get into a bigger market like the United States, which may well be the case, um, and you, you, you pull out Georgia Tech as a, a thing, they might want to look at one or two more programs in that sort of tier yeah good point um, rather than focus on some of the couple of programs that they've got in the top 16 which quite frankly this season is probably going to be a little bit out of reach yeah now yeah. we could be pleasantly surprised and there might be something revealing in in that um, explanation for the, for the GPA that gets them over the hump but also like you say it's going to be harder for them in round two than it would have been in round one so so um, if they can wait you know, they they apply this season if they can come back in round one and recalibrate a little bit, get a, maybe a stronger GMAT score, mm. boosting that verbal component. Um, you know, they boost that verbal component one, you know, one or two points. That's going to have a pretty significant I know. impact on the, that overall number. Yeah, I know. And this is that classic case of when you see a really low GPA, the best remedy is to have a stellar GMAT score, right? To, so. Yeah. In any event, um, all right, I want to thank them for, you know, submitting their profile. Hopefully they get everything together in round two and get some good news. We will see how it all turns out. Um, they can keep us posted on their entry here to let us know how things go. Uh, let's move on, though, and talk about our final entry. So this is Wiretaps candidate number three. So, Alex, as we did last week, we're getting into some decision wire entries. And so this is an entry that you selected from a candidate who posted on Decision Wire? Um, they originally applied to Cornell, Michigan, Kellogg, Stern, and UVA, and it looks like they ran the table, right? So they got in everywhere they applied. Um, Cornell actually gave them a fifty-six thousand dollars scholarship. Ross offered them forty thousand. They got no money from Kellogg, and I should also mention Kellogg is not the traditional full-time MBA; it's a part-time MBA program that they applied to at Kellogg. Um, with Stern, they were offered a $170,000 scholarship, and with Darden, a $155,000 scholarship. So lots of scholarship money. This candidate's going to start school in the fall. They say they want to work in consulting, ideally at you know Bain, BCG, or McKinsey. Um, they're located in Chicago, and they mentioned that you know they'd love to do strategic operations work in big tech, but they're also going to recruit for strategy consulting. And I guess they mentioned as well, they're a military vet. They've worked in consulting for a couple of years at a global firm. So first they did military, then that. Um, they're first gen, underrepresented minority. They actually applied through the consortium to these schools. And they would love to land in Chicago or New York after business school. 
And in the very long term, they have kind of their eye on, on venture capital as a possible kind of um, area they want to explore. So it's a little confusing in the sense that it sounds like they're going to recruit for strategy consulting, but if there were a strategic ops role in big tech, they might take that as well. So I guess when we give them advice here about where to go, we want to think about schools that may be placed well in both consulting and tech um, and to, to kind of keep those options open. But I want to put this over to you, Alex, because I mean, there's there's a lot on the table here. You have an M7 program in Kellogg, but for part-time, and then you have a bunch of top 16 programs all offering money with Stern and Darden giving them the most money. So like, what would you do in this scenario? Yeah, I mean, I think you've got two different sort of choices to make here. One is part-time Kellogg versus one of the full-time options. And then the second choice is if one of the full-time options, should it be Stern or Darden? Okay. I mean, Ross and Johnson are very good too, but Stern or Darden would probably... Because of the money. ...float to the top, mostly because of the money. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Stern also because it's in New York, mm-hmm. Darden also because it's very strong consulting with the, you know, with the with the case study method and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. um, sort of into the mix. So that would be the way I would look at it. And I think our, our um, community contributor, um, 10646, um, really distills um, quite succinctly the, the issues with the part-time, i.e. Kellogg versus the full-time option. So I'm just going to read out what they um, said okay. directly. And it is, are you happy in your current role and feel that um, you'll still be progressing a lot during the MBA years? Is your role one which will allow time to take a decent course load and not feel burnt out? Do you believe staying in that role uh, will be more valuable than concentrating on only academic and concentrating on only academics um, versus doing things like um, case competitions and other opportunities? So those are the things that they'd really want to consider um, staying at work and going to catalog. And then on top of that, the recruiting opportunities out of a part-time program are going to be different to the recruiting opportunities out of the full-time program. And they really need to investigate that aspect directly with Kellogg in terms of what are the opportunities for their part-time students? Can they dip into the full-time recruiting um, and so on and so forth? Um, So... um, Answering those questions, I think, will help them think through, does Kellogg make sense or is it better for them to go fully immersive two years and, and, and you know, looking at, you know, Johnson, Ross, Stern or Darden. Yeah. And in that case, it does look like Stern and Darden with the money that they're offering uh, potentially the, the, the better options. And Stern, I think, with the... Uh, New York City location um, is is particularly attractive, and Darden with its case method and more of a um, I'm not saying rural, but not New York City location, might also be something more appealing to them. That's how I would assess it, Graham. Yeah, you know it's interesting. I think um, I'm a big fan of full time MBA programs because of the immersive experience. Yeah. If you can afford it, like I recognize some people. They go part-time because it's just, they can't take a break out from paying the bills and, and all that stuff, right? So in this case, though, given the amount of money that's on offer from both Stern and Darden, I would think that it's actually going to be cheaper for them to go full-time at one of these two than to go part-time at Kellogg where they're not getting any money. So they're going to have to pay the bill 
for Kellogg. And yes, they'll still be able to work, but it's it's probably going to come out in the wash, in my view. I mean, I really That's think that point. they have a unique opportunity to go full time at, at almost basically a free ride. Um, one of the things that I would want to consider, though, is I agree with you. It probably comes down to Stern or Darden, given that you know Stern's offering them 170 or whatever it is, and and Darden 155. And the reason I keep Darden in the mix there is because the cost of living in Charlottesville is nothing like the cost of living in um, in New York City, right? So right. I'm guessing that those numbers may end up being pretty much the same thing when you start to think about what it's going to cost to live in these places. So I, you know, I I don't know how old this candidate is. I know they were in the military. Now they're doing consulting, and so. They could be a little bit older, um, but I would wonder, you know, like, where's the best place? Like, what what do they want? I mean, I, I, you know, on some levels, I could see someone saying, hey, I've been, you know, living and working in Chicago. I'm going to land in a city after business school. What a great opportunity to spend two years off in a kind of countryside kind of town and, and a college kind of community. Maybe they have a family. I have no idea, right? So you could see where Charlottesville might have some appeal. As you said as well, case method, really good for getting into consulting, and we know Darden places tons of people in places like New York. So I think they could do it from there. At the same time, you could also make the argument that, hey, what, what better place to be than New York City? Um, you know, Stern's a, a top-ranked program as well. I mean, some might even argue just a notch ahead of Darden in many of the rankings and stuff. So it's, yeah, th that would be up to them because there's a lot of personal fit questions that come into play. But I'm just going to go out there and put my stake on the full-time experience given the money on offer. And I don't, I don't think that Kellogg would give them the same experience. I just, yeah, it's a, such a unique opportunity. And again, I'm very much influenced by the experience I had. Um, so I'll just put that out on the table, but I, I feel like if they can afford it going full-time is such a, it's a luxury and it's a lot of fun and much more immersive and, and things. So that's my take on this one. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, Graham, especially based on your personal take. The other, the other thing to add to the mix is part-time programs generally going to take longer. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and, and so on and so forth. So, so full-time two years, more immersive, um, and, and at the, at the price points that they're getting, I mean, it's, it's I, I imagine it's quite hard to get scholarship money for part-time because right. programs focus all their scholarship money on their full-time students. Yeah, so exactly. Let's assume they get no money at Kellogg. Um, and yeah, for a lot of reasons that you, you suggest it, it does make more sense. Um, obviously we don't know that, like you say, their personal circumstance. So, so, um, you know, there's there's opportunity costs. There's various other things to factor in, but but um, factor in also the length of completion. Part time, it might be three years. I don't know how structured the Kellogg program is, but um, you, you're balancing a lot. Yeah, agreed. So, well, in any event, I want to thank that person for sharing this dilemma because I think it's so interesting when people share their results and and even scholarship amounts. I mean, it's such great um, data for everyone on the site to be able to chew on and, and think through and. Yeah, and hopefully this advice was useful to them as they try to make their decision. Um, Alex, thanks for picking these out as always. Uh, and yeah, again, happy 2023 to everyone that's tuned in. Uh, we'll keep keep going into another year here, and we'll be back next week with another episode, uh, if you're willing, Alex. <laughs> Very good. Best of luck, everyone. Stay safe.